0: Hello and welcome to Freshly Squeezed True Crime. I'm Renee and I'm Sue Haley. We are a true crime comedy podcast focusing on crimes that happened in Florida. Not everyone agrees that the topics of true crime and comedy should go together, and our sense of humor is definitely not for everyone. While we tell stories of true crime, it is never our intention to make fun of victims or the horrendous things that have happened. Instead, we laugh at the rest, the criminals, the investigations that go sideways, and really anything else that we say to each other that makes us stop and laugh. Our humor is our defense mechanism. And we use that humor to get us through the dark shit that happens in this world. So if we haven't scared you away yet, join us as we continue to try. Hey, Sue Haley. Hi, Renee. How have you been? Well, I mean, it's Florida, so who knows? That's a good point. You going to squeeze some juice for me today? Absolutely. Yeah, what are we talking about? We're talking about Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Yahweh Ben Yahweh. It's so I'm nice. I'm going to pronounce that wrong a few times. Well, it's so nice you got to say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but when I give you the definition of why his name is what it is, then you'll better understand. Why it's nice. I can't wait. Okay, here we go. Yeah. So Liberty City is a neighborhood in Miami, Florida. The area is roughly bounded by 79th Street, 27th Avenue West, the Airport Expressway, and the I-95 East. The neighborhood is home to one of the largest concentrations of African Americans in South Florida, and although it's often known as the Model City, both historically by the city Miami government, residents most commonly call it Liberty City. Once part of the sparsely populated outskirts of northern Miami, what became Liberty City, developed during the Great Depression of the 1930s, when President FDR authorized the construction of the Liberty Square housing projects in 1933, the first of its kind in the southern United States. Built as a response to the deteriorating housing conditions and densely populated and convenient restricted slums of Overtown, construction on the initial housing project began in 1934 and it opened in 1937. So into the 1940s and 50s, the growing Liberty City and adjacent Brownsville thrived as a middle-income Black American community, hosting several churches, hospitals, and community centers. The area served as a home to prominent figures like Kelsey Fair, Alethea ranged, the first Black American elected to serve on a Miami City Commission, and boxer Muhammad Ali. Although segregation laws prohibited Black Americans from resting and residing in popular Miami beaches, service establishments and resorts such as the Hampton House Motel and Villas catered to and entertained the likes of notables such as Martin Luther King Jr., Alethea Gibson, and even whites such as Mickey Mantle. Construction of the I-95 in Florida in Overtown and declining use of restrictive homes in the wake of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 dramatically altered the neighborhood into the 1960s. Increasing numbers of lower-income elderly and welfare-dependent families migrated to Liberty City after the displacement primarily primarily from inner-city Overtown during the area into dangerous ghettos, leading to a large-scale black flight of middle and higher income blacks and other blacks like West Indian Americans, largely to suburban areas like Florida City and Miami Gardens and Southern and Northern Dade County, respectively. Crime grew prevalent in the increasingly poverty-stricken areas in the immediate post-civil rights movement era of the 1960s and 70s. The ensuing problems of the poor and disenfranchised grew most apparent and notable in race riots that occurred in Liberty City in August 1968 during the Republican National Convention in Miami Beach and in May 1980 during the acquittal of police officers charged with the killing of Arthur McDuffie. The plight of inner-city Black Miamians increasingly came to be highlighted in the national press into the 1980s as the University of Miami Hurricane football team won several national college football championships, led by players recruited mostly from Black, lower-income neighborhoods such as Liberty City and Overtown. National exposure continued with the popularity of nationally broadcast programs such as the NBC crime drama Miami Vice. Do you remember it? i'm gonna say no so i sound younger (laughs) (laughs) which brought the deteriorating conditions of the area to greater prominence into the 1990s and 2000s music grew to reflect the area with locals such as luther campbell's two life crew pioneering the miami-based genre which dominated Southern hip-hop during the decade. Other music and sport talents rose to national prominence from the area, such as rappers Trina, Trick Daddy, and NFL players Chad Ochocinco Johnson, Antonio Brown, and Willis McGee. So, due to gentrification, climate change is affecting the value of flood-prone real estate in Miami. Miami neighborhoods with higher elevations, such as Liberty City, are experiencing increasing real estate Values By 2017, Liberty City, along with Little Haiti, started becoming more attractive to investors. A community land trust is planned to maintain affordability for its current residents, but home prices appreciated more slowly in 2018 in Miami Beach and lower levels of Miami-Dade County. Demographics. In 2000, Liberty City had a population of 43,054 residents. The median household income was $18,809 with 87 cents. Bear in mind that 87 cents, because it's going to come into play later on. The racial makeup of the neighborhood was 94% black, 3% Hispanic or Latino of any nationality, 1.68% other race, non-Hispanic, and 0.59% white. So like one white guy. Yeah, Jim, you know. (laughs) The white guy. Jim. Jim. They, called Jim. they just called him. They just him. the white guy. Yeah. the white guy. Just the white guy. Who is the white guy? Who? Everybody knows Jim. He's the white He's guy. He's the white guy. <laughs> <laughs> the area covers 5.968 square miles. In 2000, there were 19,286 males and 23,768 females because of early deaths or because they were behind bars, the males that is. The median age for males was 25.9 years, while the median age for females was 30.3 years. Now, the next stat is ridiculous. The percentage of married couples was 20%, while the percentage of married couples with children was 9%, and the percentage of single mothers was 71%. That's a lot. Just a tad bit. A little bit. So, all that... So that we can start talking about Mr. Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Yahweh Ben Yahweh was born Hulon Mitchell Jr. on October 27th, 1935, one of 15 children. Whoa, wow. All from the same mom? Yep. Oh, Mr. Hulon Mitchell Sr., the minister of Church of God in Christ in Eden, Oklahoma, and Pearl O. Mitchell, pianist for the same congregation, Pentecostal so one of 15 that's too many okay (laughs) after leaving oklahoma mr mitchell joined the military and then attended law school throughout his life yeah we adopted several religious practices and he claimed he knew he was divine by the age of three how did he he get a sign (laughs) yes you you must receive a sign what was his little three-year-old sign a piece of candy fell from his mother's purse and he thought it was from God. He believed in himself. And all things are possible when you believe in yourself. That's a confident fucking three-year-old. Then, you know what? Don't knock it. He studied psychology in college and later earned a master's degree in economics at Atlanta University. While in the 1960s, he joined the Nation of Islam and took the name Hulon X after leaving the nation of islam in the late 1960s he became a faith healing christian preacher and named himself father mitchell fashioning himself after father divine and samuel father jehovah morris two african-american ministers and self-proclaimed divine connections to god who were active during the early 20th century mitchell arrives in miami florida in 1978 where he gathered members of the city's black hebrew israelite congregations and founded the nation of yahweh have i ever mentioned to you that 1978 is the bestest year ever i mean that's not true i mean it is Mm. for a lot of reasons a lot of i think you're biased absolutely okay i'm going with 79 but i'm gonna go with 78 because jonestown massacre oh that that means 78 is a great fucking you know what you're right the uh richard chase the vampire of sacramento was caught okay ted bundy was caught in pensacola florida okay john wayne gacy was caught oh well the first solo north pole expedition that's a big fucking deal everybody knows about that shut your face the first test tube baby okay okay the first Garfield comic strip. Cool. Super B. Anthony Dollar. Cool. Roman Polanski fleed to France hours before he was formally sentenced for the rape and other charges against a child. Uh, no? I don't know that case. Okay, <clears throat> I mean, he was a director, but whatever. Oh. The world population was only a, a mere 4.4 4 billion. Only? Only. Jimmy Carter was president. The Broncos won the Super Bowl the yankees won the world series hi dad and the bruins won the stanley cup hi sue haley's dad (laughs) the most popular car was a chevy impala and a chevy caprice and can i tell you that the husband owns both which husband um my one and only husband your hus? you said the husband and i thought we were talking about the case no mine gotcha my husband hi bam (laughs) And that car was priced at five thousand four hundred and sixty eight dollars adjusted for today would be twenty four thousand five hundred and forty four. Which price did the husband pay? (laughs) Well, it was a Chevy Caprice uh, 79. We got it in 95. So you can you can imagine she was dirt cheap. Okay. She was probably 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> the number one movies of that year were Grease, Saturday Night Fever, Animal House, Jaws 2, and Superman. Number one songs include Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive, I Will Survive, Three Times a Lady. If you were home, you were probably watching Happy Days, Little House on the Prairie, Saturday Night Live, and The Muppet Show. The Illinois Bell Company introduced the first ever cellular mobile phone system in 79 78 girl 78 sorry i keep thinking Get it about, about myself <laughs> <laughs> space invaders launch craze for computer video games 98% of all American homes had a television. The average income per year was 17,000. Average monthly rent was $260. The cost of a gallon of gas was 63 cents. Nice. But my favorite stat of all because it's 2023. Carton of dozen of eggs, 48 cents. Holy moly. I just want you to sit there and ponder that number for a little bit. <laughs> I like the gas one better, to be honest. <laughs> 68, 60 something? S- 63 cents. 63 cents for a gallon of gas. Yes. But, so yes. the nation of Yahweh. Yahweh is the proper name for the Abrahamic God. So Yahweh ben Yahweh literally means God, comma, son of God. Okay. Okay. Its goal is to move African Americans, who it believes are the original Israelites, to Israel. The group accepts Yahweh Ben Yahweh as the son of God. In this way, it believes are un- its beliefs are unique and distinct from those of other Black Hebrew Israelite groups. The organization describes itself as the following. In 1978, Yahweh Ben Yahweh came to Miami and became the spiritual leader and founder of the Nation of Yahweh. Although he took a vow of poverty, in seven years he guided the nation to amass a $250 million empire. Under his direction, the nation has grown to encompass disciples, followers, and supporters in over 1,300 cities within the U.S. and 16 countries. Damn. In his teachings, Yahweh told his followers to wear white, claiming, "...he that overcometh the white man." That the same shall be cloth in white remnant, according to the Miami Herald. We are white people's property as long as we keep their name was another lesson leading many followers to assume biblical names, often adopting the surname of Israel. So Brene Israel, Haley Israel, so on and so forth. <laughs> many of the followers of Nation of Yahweh lived and communally in a mixed-use complex known as the Temple of Love. <laughs> sounds like a show you would watch <laughs> Aww, you, where do you meet him at the temple of love <laughs> It was located in Miami's historically Black enclave of Liberty City. Followers were expected to generate money by selling goods, which included Yahweh brand drinks and beauty products. With these proceeds and donations from members, the group invested in real estate holdings, including apartment buildings, hotels, and supermarkets, which valued at $9 million in 1990, according to the New York Times. So earlier, I mentioned Black Hebrew Israelites, which they're also known as Hebrew Israelites, Black Hebrews, Black Israelites, and African Hebrew Israelites. They're all a new religious movement claiming that African Americans are the descendants of the ancient Israelites. Some subgroups believe that Native and Latin American um, Latin Americans are also descendants of the Israelites as well. Black Hebrew Israelites combine elements to their teachings from a wide range of sources to varying degrees. So... Like I mentioned earlier, it's a lot of a la carte. Black Hebrew Israelites incorporate certain aspects of the religious beliefs and practices of both Christianity and Judaism, though they have created their own interpretation of the Bible and other influences to include Freemasonry and new thought. For example, many choose to identify as Hebrew Israelites or Black Hebrews rather than Jews in order to indicate their claim to historic connections. Black Hebrew Israelites are not associated with the mainstream Jewish community and they do not meet the criteria that are used to identify people as Jewish by the Jewish community. They are also outside the fold of mainstream Christianity. Um, They also have a non harmonious movement with a number of groups that have varying beliefs and practices. Various sects of Black Hebrews have been criticized by academics for the promotion of historical revisionism. So the Black Hebrews movement originated at the end of the 19th century with Frank Cherry and William Crowdery, both claimed to have received visions that African-Americans are descendants of the Hebrews in the Bible. Cherry established the Church of the Living God and the Pillar Ground of Truth for All Nations in 1868 and Crowdy funded the Church of God and Saints of Christ, say that three times, Mm -hmm. in 1896. So subsequently, black Hebrews groups were founded in the United States during the late 19th and 20th centuries, from Kansas to New York City, by both of these African American men and many West Indian immigrants. In the mid-1980s, the number of black Hebrews in the United States rose from 25,000 to 40,000. So the Southern Poverty Law Center has criticized the beliefs of the Nation of Yahweh as rape and considers them to be racist, stating that the group believes that blacks are the true Israelites and whites are the devils. The, so- the Southern Poverty Law Center also claims that the group believes that Yahweh ben Yahweh has a Messianic mission to vanquish whites and that it holds beliefs similar to those of Christian identity movement, which believes that the Aryans are the true Israelites and non-whites are the devils. So basically, you have two groups literally believing in the same thing, but juxtaposition to each other. Nice. The Southern Poverty Law Center, Tom Metzger, of the white Aryan resistance says, Groups like the Nation of Yahweh are the black counterpart to us. So they have been recognized by other hate groups. The Anti-Defamation League has criticized the Nation of Yahweh and some other Black Hebrew sects, stating in 1987, the Anti-Defamation League reported on Black sects holding these views, arguing that today's Jews are not the chosen people described in the Bible. Instead, that the label applies to people of African descent, such as the Yahwehs. We may have rabbis and nuns here, but we don't believe in celibacy. That's one of their claims to fame. Most followers were men. The main elders were men as well. Yahweh Ben Yahweh's wife, Linda Gaines, who changed her name to Judith Israel, became a significant helper and leader. Gaines, who collected money, handed finances, and the possessions of full-time workers. She had a bodyguard and was high up in the following. So I had to dig a ton to get a couple of snippets of what they believed and how they functioned and they're they're still active. They have a website and it is you have to what I did was I read the website mm-hmm. and then I had to use other sources to you know push away what they were what they were saying to what the bottom line was because obviously just like many other aka cults they'll feed you one thing. You know, on the, board, on the table, mm-hmm. but what's being served underhanded is what really matters. Mm-hmm. Most followers are men. The main elders are men as well. Yahweh Ben Yahweh's wife, Linda Gaines, who now calls herself Judith Israel, became a significant helper and leader. She collects money, handed finances, and possessions of the full-time workers. She has a full-time bodyguard and was high up in the following... Through the Nation of Yahweh, presented itself as a religious organization dedicated to improving black lives by teaching self-resilience and practicing urban renewal, darker things were going on behind the closed doors of the Temple of Love. Those who questioned Yahweh's teachings or practices within the group were subject to discipline, beatings, and in some cases, murder. In 1981, a former Nation of Yahweh member, Ashton Green, was beheaded after leaving the group, according to the Miami Herald. When his roommates and fellow defectors, Carlton Carey and Mildred Banks, went to report the incident to police, they were both attacked. Carlton Carey was fatally shot, and Mildred Banks was shot and struck by a machete. She survived the attack. Mr. Carey did not. In the fall of 1986, a large contingent group from the Nation of Yahweh showed up at a rundown apartment building the group had bought in Opaca, Florida. Tenants claimed that the Yahwehs armed with wooden staffs repeat to forcibly evict them. Residents Anthony Brown and Rudolph Russert publicly resisted. One of the victims had criticized the group on TV, and that evening, they were both shot to death outside the apartment building, according to the South Florida Sun Centennial. Police arrested former University of California at Berkeley football player, Yahweh follower Robert Roser, who went by the name Neria Israel, and cha- charged him with the murders, according to the New York Times. After the double murders, the Miami-based nation of Yahweh was at risk of losing its good name among city leaders who saw the religious sect as champions for the poor. When police showed up at the crime scene, a suspect found hiding nearby wore the familiar white turban of the sect's members. Yahweh Ben-Yahweh, who built his following with the message of Black supremacy, responded by ramping up his signature charm. Yahweh Ben-Yahweh launched a public relations campaign. He showed politicians how the group's members bought and cleaned up drug-riddled and dilapidated buildings, a strategy that otherwise helped the secretive sect grow wealth through the real estate. The residents regarded them as a great deal of fear, said former assistant U.S. attorney David D'Amato. But oddly enough, the political establishment in Miami didn't regard them with such fear because they weren't aware of what was really going on under the surface. So over time, they became to accept him as a wonderful member of the community. The following portions were from different articles that I read on defectors of the Nation of Yahweh. Followers who moved into converted warehouses they named the Temple of Love were kept in line by threats of violence a core group of machete-wielding bodyguards assigned to the leader reinforced the danger. At one point, he had every adult male line up in a show of loyalty and drop their pants. And for any who weren't circumcised, the leader circumcised them himself. Uh Uh-uh. Yes, yes. Uh Uh-uh. Yes, yes. Remember, this is the temple of love. Get it together. (laughs) After a small group questioned his teachings, and moved out to start a new temple, he branded them as hypocrites and called for their deaths. He talked about it. He was giving them instructions and orders, said former follower Khalil Armani. One of these disgruntled members returned to the Temple of Love and demanded to speak to the leader. He was beaten with a hammer, and his body and decapitated head were found later in the Everglades nice temple of love wait how do you find a body in the everglades i don't know like the gator kicked it back i don't know (laughs) that's what i was gonna we're full (laughs) the gators were full that day yes hold on we full, you guys we've had enough dead bodies today dropping your bodies here please the mob has already got us once this week there's (laughs) no such thing as mobs Somebody on a dating app asked me if I wanted to go on a first date on an airboat ride in the swamp. I was like, no. A, no I No, I don't want to be killed in a swamp by you this weekend. But I've thank you that. for asking. I went on an airboat. On a first date goes- with a guy from a dating app? No, the husband. <laughs> Somebody you already trusted? Yes. That wasn't the point of my story. Remember, Temple of Love. Two others who left went to police and pointed a finger at the nation of Yahweh. They were then attacked in their home. One died and the other recovered and went into the witness protection program. But no criminal charges were brought. Why not? They were busy that day. They just... Oh. They didn't have time for that. Oh, okay. And besides... They were the, dealing with the Fulgators. And it's the Temple of Love. That can't be true. That's a good point. Followers were sent into the streets to collect $10 oh. daily and they failed, they faced consequences. They were brought into the cafeteria that came to be known as the Room of Understanding. That's that's creepy. Oh, it's about to get creepier. Are you ready, child? No, because that was a little creepy. Basically, you're on concrete floors with a thin layer of carpet, Amani recalls. You were made to kneel on your knees and keep your back straight for four to five hours. In that room, there were also guards with sticks that made sure you stayed where you were supposed to. After being sent away to start a new temple in another state, Amani returned to find his wife distant, and the leader he had viewed as a father figure now turned cold. He later learned that Yahweh ben Yahweh had been convening a weekly closed-door midwife class where the leader led women in genital examinations along with placing their mouth on another's private area to give CPR to the unborn child, Amani says. I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. No, don't. Why are you going to the next lot? But that part hasn't sunk in. Okay. So he was making the women... Yes, give general examinations along with... oxygen into... Yes. The uterus. To To the unborn child. That's... Yes. Okay. Okay. He also invited oral sex on himself. He would ask, how many of his sisters would mind having the king seed? Come to find out he was having sex with my wife. So let me repeat that. How many of the sisters would mind having the king's seed? He invited. He, I, mean, yeah. I liked your choice of words. He invited them to perform oral sex on him. Ma'am, Is that what you said? Is that, was that the word? Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, that's not my word. This was in an article that I read done by Amani, who, if you remember, was sent away to start a temple in another state. Was he sent away because his wife was hot and and... Zimbabwe probably wanted to you know so that she could participate in the woman a uh, uh, class of midwife i called him zimbabwe yahweh Sim- can i write this fucking down please yahweh ben yahweh did i spell it right probably not do you do you see um nope it's totally wrong yahweh ben b-e-n oh that's the part i got wrong Oh, you got the whole thing wrong. Thank you. So Yahweh Ben Yahweh's business and charity efforts earns him respect in the community. The then mayor, Xavier Suarez, declared Yahweh Ben Yahweh Day on October 7th, 1990, a month before his indictment. How many people were in the not calling it a cult <laughs> at this well, point? it get- Remember, at that point there was a, there was twenty five thousand members, but it was across the country. That's because a lot of, the number. But how many were going to vote for this guy that made a special day? Is what I was getting at. I'm not sure. Crimes and aftermath. So, although Yahweh Ben Yahweh's followers remained devoted to him, he was in trouble with the law by the 1990s. Between 1990 and 2001, he served eleven years of an 18-year sentence on a racketeer influence and corruption's organizations act better known as the rico act and the conviction after he and 12 nation of yahweh members were convicted of conspiracy for the role of ex-followers in more than a dozen murders so for those who don't know the rico act is how the government has managed to catch most of its famous cases So we're talking about the Cowboy Mafia, the Hells Angels, the Latin Kings, the Key West Police Department, Major League Baseball, Los Angeles Police Department, the Gambino Crime Family, the Luchizi Crime Family, the Bonanno Crime Family, Chicago Outfits. It goes on and on. But Rico's for organized crime, right? Yes. And because of the charges of murder, they considered a lot of what they had done to be under the Rico Act. Robert Roser was a six-foot-three, two hundred and forty-pounder drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the ninth round of the 1979 NFL Draft, the 228th overall. A defensive end, Roser played six out of 75 games and starting of none of them. Roser's professional sports career in the States was derailed by allegations of drug use and petty crime. Roser briefly moved on to the Canadian Football League, playing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and finally signed with the Oakland Raiders, a team with a reputation for collecting misfits for only two weeks. This winner confessed to seven of the murders. Yes, Roser, who played in the NFL, admitted to seven of the murders, six on behalf of Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Yes. Holy shit. I was wondering why you went on a football tangent. And exactly. I'm like so faced conviction for only mm. conspiracy to murder. A primary component of the prosecution's case was Roser, who testified in return for a lighter sentence. He helped authorities build a case that led the sect leader and 15 of his followers to be charged in 1990 with multiple counts of murder, attempted murder, racketeering, arson, and extortion. At the trial, where the leader was convicted and sentenced to 18 years for conspiracy to commit murder, Khalil Amani, the one with the distant wife, was the first to testify against him. Looking eye to eye in that courtroom was terrifying, but I knew it had to be done. I bet it was terrifying. Holy shit. Roser, because remember, they were going around killing anyone who spoke out on TV, who went to the cops. They were dead literally the same day. So he had to wait his turn and he did what he did in court. Roser later entered the witness protection program, the football player but returned to prison on a 25-year sentence to life under California's three strikes law following a check kiting conviction. For people who don't know, check kiting is a form of check fraud involving taking advantage of the float to make use of non-existent funds in a checking or otherwise bank account. In this way, instead of being used as a negotiable instrument, checks are misused as a form of unauthorized credit. So you escape murder, many, many murders, and then you go to prison for 25 years. You go into the Winner's Protection Program, and then you get 25 years to life for check kiting. Remember when I called him a winner? Remember that? Yes, I do. Ben Yahweh was released on parole in 2001 and returned to Miami, but his activities were restricted until a few months before his death. He was prohibited from reconnecting with his old congregation. To ensure this, he was restricted from any form of speech by internet, telephone, computer, radio, or television that could place him in contact with any nation of Yahweh's members. Last years and death. In 2006, as he became increasingly ill with prostate cancer, Jane Wintraub, Ben Yahweh's attorney, petitioned the U.S. District Court for his release from parole to permit him to die with dignity. He died on May 7, 2007, at the age of 71. The location of his body is, was not disclosed. Yahweh will be remembered and mourned by the millions of people that he touched through prayer and teachings, said his lawyer Jane Wintraub and Steve Polosky in the joint statement. Damn. Yahweh Ben Yahweh um, is still treated as a martyr. The Nation of Yahweh is still around. It Mm -hmm. is still up and running. You can go to their website. I went through it and that's my story. That was a good one. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for joining us and drinking the juice. Still thirsty? Need more freshly squeezed? Here's how you can help. Visit our website to see show notes, resource links, and more. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Follow us on social media. We're FSTCPod on Instagram and TikTok, and we're FSTrueCrime on Twitter. We'll see you next time. And may the juice be with you.